the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. I understand what Paul is saying. And I could say like Paul, if God saved me, even though I rejected Christ, then he can't be through with Israel because of their rejection of Christ. If God's through with Israel, then what am I doing here, right? And there are a number of you, even in the congregation, of Jewish backgrounds. Welcome to another broadcast of Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve has just begun a new series of messages from Romans chapter 11 that answer the question, has God rejected Israel? In our last broadcast, we learned that this important question has divided the people of God for many centuries, and how we answer it will have a profound impact upon our faith. As you heard in the intro today, Pastor Steve is a Jew who has recognized that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. Like the Apostle Paul, he can point to his own conversion as the first evidence that God has not fully rejected the people of Israel. Here is Pastor Steve to explain more. Has God rejected his people? While many say yes, thank God the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, says no. We look at verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Let's stop there for a moment. The, the construction of this sentence in Greek brings out the fact that Paul expects the answer to be no. In fact, that's why my version, the New American Standard, uh, terms it this way. It doesn't just say, has God rejected his people? God has not rejected his people, right? I mean, it, it implies a no answer. That's exactly what Paul gives. He says, may it never be. Strongest terms in the Greek language. May it never be. In other words, perish the thought. Don't even think such a thing. Heaven forbid, you could say. In fact, some versions say God forbid. So strong in the, la- in the language of the, the Greek words. God forbid. Don't even think, think such a thought. And that is exactly, though, what many have thought over the years. Well, chapter 11 answers this question. Now, let me explain chapter 11 to you, give you the overall picture. Paul is going to prove that God has not permanently cast aside his people. It is not a, a complete casting aside, though there is a setting aside. But I want you to understand what Paul is going to say in the first 10 verses, which we'll only look at a little bit today. We won't get through the whole thing. Paul is going to say that Israel has been set aside only partially, partially, which means that there are Uh, While Israel is set aside because of their rejection, there are some Jews who believe. It is not a complete setting aside. There are a number, many Jewish people who believe. The nation has not been set aside completely. It's just partial. Just partial. Secondly, verses 11 to about verse 25, he's going to tell us that Israel's setting aside is only temporary. 
Someday all Israel is going to be saved. Look at verse 25. I don't want you to be uh, ignorant brethren or be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening, that is some Jews, not all, has happened to Israel when until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and thus all Israel will be saved. During the tribulation period, there will be many, many, many Jewish people who will die. Those left, the Bible says in Zechariah 13, those left will look upon him whom they pierced. As Jesus breaks through the clouds and comes to deliver his people, they will look upon him whom they've pierced and they will weep, the Bible says, as one weeps for an only son. They will weep. Why? Because they will have the blindness taken off of their eyes and they will see that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah and they will accept him. Who? The whole nation. Just as the nation has rejected him now, so the nation will accept him then. And so Paul is saying, look, they've been set aside, but only partially. There are some Jews who believe and only temporary. It's just temporary. Someday God is going to fulfill all of his promises all of his promises, the physical promises, the spiritual promises to Israel. That's at the end of the tribulation. And then the rest of the chapter, Paul is sort of saying there's a purpose to all of this. God has a purpose. You know what the purpose is? That you might be saved. Gentiles are brought in. And from you, the Jews will hear and they'll be brought in. And that's why Paul, when he gets through, says, who can figure it out? What a plan. God has put it all together. We think that God is unrighteous. Not only is God righteous, God is so wise. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Who can figure this out? Who could ever sit down and figure something like this out? How dare anybody say that Christianity and the Bible is man-made? Nobody has the intelligence to figure out something like this. God has a sovereign plan. So he's going to use Israel's rejection. He's going to use uh, the Gentiles' acceptance. And he's going to work it out all in the end that Israel is saved and fulfills his word to them. Gentiles are saved. And it all comes together because God knows what he's doing. So this morning, we want to look at the question, has God cast away Israel? And we want to see three proofs to indicate that God has not cast away Israel because their unbelief is only partial. Only partial. It's not whole. Not all have rejected. This morning, we'll look at three proofs. Actually, we're going to look at two, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the third. We're going to look at the conversion of, of Paul. The conversion of Paul. Has God cast away Israel? Let's look at Paul's conversion. The second thing we're going to look at is the chosen remnant. So the conversion of Paul, then the chosen remnant, and Lord willing, next week, we'll look at the confirmation of Scripture. The Old Testament Scripture speaks of this. All right. The conversion of Paul. Paul's first line of proof that God hasn't rejected Israel is himself, or more specifically, his conversion. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. First proof, for I, too, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, if God has rejected his people, then what am I doing here? That's what he says. I mean, if you think God has totally wiped out Israel, then explain me. That's what Paul is saying. Explain me. And because I'm Jewish, I can say the same thing. Explain me. People have been trying to for years. But really, getting back to the text, Paul, Paul says, then explain me. And I, with, without being too crude, I like to think of it like this. In our, in our vernacular, uh, in the last few years, people say when they, when they feel they've been neglected or ignored, they say, what am I, chopped liver? I, I think it's like Paul is saying, look, has God rejected Israel? What about me? What am I, chopped liver? 
God hasn't rejected Israel. Why am I here? If God has rejected Israel, what am I doing here? Because I also, he says, am a Jew. Now, Paul doesn't just say I'm a Jew. He says it in, in different words. He says, for I too am an Israelite. That is, he's connected with the land of Israel. Even though he was raised outside of the land, he's an Israelite. He says a descendant of Abraham. Why does he say that? Well, because not everybody who was a Jew was a descendant of Abraham. Some were proselytes. Some were Gentiles. Some were Gentiles who, who embraced the God of Israel. And they call themselves Jews. There are people today who uh, call themselves Jew, Jews, most notably the uh, uh, actress Sammy Davis Jr., uh, actress Elizabeth Taylor. They say they're Jews. They are really proselytes. But Paul was not that. Probably many in this church at Rome reading this letter were Jewish proselytes. That is, they were born Gentiles and they embraced Judaism and then they came to know Christ as the Messiah. But Paul is saying, that's not with me. I was born a Jew. I'm of the seed of Abraham. I am a Jew by birth, a physical descendant of Abraham. And what's more, he says, and this is very significant, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, there were 12 tribes because Jacob had 12 sons, and each son has a tribe named after him. Why does he, why does he say I'm of the tribe of Benjamin? Why does he emphasize that? Because sitting here 2,000 years later, we say, who cares? You're of the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, today, no Jew knows his tribe. Uh, all the records are gone. God knows, but no Jew knows his tribe. But back then, Paul knew his tribe. Very significant, because in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is, is counting his pedigree to the people, and he says in verse 5, he says, I'm, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. When Paul wants the Judaizers in Galatians to know that he is a great Jew, He's a pure breed. He's a, he has a, a pure and high pedigree. He says that he is of the tribe of Benjamin. Why was Paul so concerned that people knew he was a Benjamite, which would be the way of putting it? Back in the Old Testament, after the death of King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split. The United Kingdom of the 12 tribes of Jacob became divided. It was never the same Again, ten tribes broke off. The northern kingdom, and that's what they came to be called, broke off from the southern kingdom. Ten tribes. The southern kingdom, which didn't break off, had two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. The other tribes had apostatized. They had departed from the faith. They refused to come to Jerusalem and worship they set up false altars. They set up uh, false temples out of the area that God said they were to be. And so they were apostate. They departed. But Benjamin's tribe was faithful to Judah. The tribe of Benjamin was greatly honored from that day on, highly respected. To be from the tribe of Benjamin was a great, great honor. In fact, the first king of Israel was from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul, King Saul. Guess who was named after him? Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle. So Paul said, I'm a ben Benjamite. I'm from that tribe. Not only did that tribe produce King Saul, it produced his, his son, who's been greatly honored, Jonathan, wonderful man of God. And then there was Esther and Mordecai that God used to preserve the nation of Israel. 
And so when Paul says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, that's as if he's saying, I am really special when it comes to being a Jew. I am an honored Jew. I'm not just a Jew. I'm an honored Jew. I'm a respected Jew. I'm a pure Jew. I have a high and pure pedigree. So Paul calls forth himself as the prime example of a pure Jew. From an honored tribe is evidence that the promises made to Israel are being fulfilled. It's as if as Paul, Paul saying, I'm a Jew's Jew. If I can be saved, then any Jewish person can be saved. And that's exactly what Paul means. In fact, I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you were here, I believe last Sunday night, then you would know a little bit about this because we covered this. In chapter 1, the 1 Timothy, verse 16, Paul is contrasting himself with the false teachers who use the law and distort the law and the way they use the law. And Paul is saying that they neglect the gospel. He says, but I'm a product of the gospel. Look how it's worked in my life. God has saved me and set me up as an example. Look at verse 16. And for this reason, I found mercy in order. Now, here's the reason why God saved Paul. In order that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example of those who would believe in him for eternal life. An illustration. If people think they're too bad to be saved, all they have to do is look at Paul and say, look, God was so long-suffering with Paul that he would, re- would accept anybody who comes to him. In fact, I want to show you how, how bad Paul was. And we dealt with this last, last week, but I know some of you were not here. He says in verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, which means he spoke stupidly of God to, to, to rail against God and a persecutor. He persecuted the church. He, he hounded them and a violent aggressor. You know what that means? That means that he was a bully, a sadistic bully. He enjoyed it. Paul got his kicks out of killing people. He was a mass murderer. And yet he says, I was shown mercy. I was shown mercy. He was. He says in verse 15, that it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am chief. I'm foremost. I rank first. Was Paul exaggerating? No. Paul really was the worst. He really was. He was a sadistic mass murderer who hated God, wanted to destroy the church forever, not just the local church, the whole church. If he had his way at that time, he would have killed all of you. And he did kill many people. So Paul, back to Romans 11, when he, when he says, you must understand, when he says, has God rejected Israel? No, look at me. He's saying, I'm the greatest Christ rejecter of them all. If God is going to reject Israel, then certainly he's going to reject me because I'm the greatest Christ rejecter. In all the history of the church, there has probably been no greater Jewish antagonist to the gospel than Paul. There are people who might come close, but probably no one. Like Paul. Paul was living proof that God wasn't through with Israel. Paul was the most unbelieving, Christ-rejecting, Christian gospel-hating Jewish person that has ever lived. If God saved him, do you think he's rejected the whole nation? Of course not. Of course not. If God was going to totally reject Israel because they rejected him, he wouldn't have saved the greatest rejecter of them all. 
Paul is special. In fact, his testimony is found, I believe, six times in the Word of God. And it's there for a reason. You can read about it. Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 22, Galatians 1, Acts 3, Acts 9, Philippians. All of this, Paul says, I was horrible. God saved him. I suppose as a Jewish Christian, I can relate to what Paul was saying. Maybe more than some others. I was a Christ rejector for 18 years of my life. I mocked the name of Christ. The only time I ever spoke of Christ was, was uh, to, use it, to use his name in vain or to curse. I despised Christians, believing them only to be religious hypocrites. And some of the people I knew really were. I constantly took the Lord's name in vain. I mocked men of God. I thought it was real fun, fun to mock people who stood for the gospel. I made light of biblical truth. In fact, the fellow who led me to the Lord, I don't know why he was so patient with me. I was so obnoxious. In fact, after I was saved, I remember I was saved at the University of South Florida, and I went back to see my uh, high school English teacher, and uh, I told her that I came to know Christ. You know what she did? She laughed. She couldn't believe it. I was the least likely to ever do this in her class because I unfortunately mocked her as well and laughed at some of the things that she said. And I, I can recall her laughing and thinking, not you. She didn't even think that anyone like myself would be saved. So I understand what Paul is saying. And I could say like Paul, if God saved me, even though I rejected Christ, then he can't be through with Israel because of their rejection of Christ. I mean, if, God, if God's through with Israel, then what am I doing here, right? And there are a number of you, even in the congregation of Jewish backgrounds, in fact, I'd be curious, just by a show of hands, how many either have a Jewish background or know someone other than myself who's a Jewish believer. Just raise your hand. Many, many, maybe, maybe a, a third of the congregation. And you all know me, right? Is God through with Israel? Of course not. So Paul asked that. If he saved the greatest Christ rejecter, then you know he's not going to be through with other Christ rejecters. He's just partially set the nation Aside. Now, there's another proof. And let me say, before even going to the second proof, I want you to know that Jewish people can be saved. They may seem hard, and they are. They may seem uh, brutally blunt when you share the gospel with them. They are most of the time, but don't give up. If God can save Paul, if God can save me, then he can save any Jewish person. You just love them, care about them, and befriend them, and share the gospel with them. There's a second proof that God isn't ultimately through with Israel, and that is the chosen remnant, not only the conversion of Paul, the chosen remnant. Now, Paul's already introduced to us back in chapter 9, or actually even in chapter 2, he spoke to us about a remnant. So let me just go over that. Chapter 2, remember this? Paul says at the end of, verse, of uh, chapter 2, verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Then in chapter 9, he, he identifies what he's talking about, and he says in verse 6, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. In other words, not all Israel is Israel in the sense of being fleshly Israel. There are, the there are some physical descendants of Israel who also have believed in the Messiah, and they become spiritual 
Israel. They become the Israel that God is fulfilling his promises in right now. Someday, ultimately, he'll fulfill it with the nation as they accept him during the tribulation. But right now, God is fulfilling the spiritual blessings of salvation with people like myself, a remnant, a small minority of Jewish people who have believed. So God is faithful. And then in verse 27 of chapter 9, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, except the Lord of Sabaoth, that is the Lord of hosts, had left to us a posterity, that is a remnant, we would have become a Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. The only reason God preserves the Jewish people now is because of that handful of Jews who believe him and he's fulfilling his promises to them. There's no other reason why he would preserve them except to fulfill his word. Now, in Romans 11, Paul expands upon the concept of a chosen remnant from within the nation of Israel. Look at verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. It's a statement of fact. God hasn't rejected the people he chose. In fact, the term foreknew means more than just to know beforehand. God didn't just know of Israel beforehand. The word foreknew means to predetermine. It means to choose. It means preplanned love. It means to set your affection upon someone. And with the word pre before, it means beforehand. And we've gone over this in times past, especially when we covered the sovereignty of God in Romans chapter 8. In fact, if you just take the word know or knew in the Bible, you'll see what I mean. Knew is also is often used in the Bible to speak of an intimacy. For instance, Cain knew his wife. It didn't mean that he shook her hand and said, nice to know you. It means they, they had the intimate relationship of a husband and wife. The Bible says she knew not a man. It doesn't mean that she had never been introduced to a man. Or she didn't know that any men exist. No, she never had sexual relations with a man. That's how the Bible uses the word knew. In Amos 3.2, God says to Israel, Israel, of all the families in the earth, you're the only one that I have known. Does that mean God didn't know about the other families? Obviously not. God knows everything. It means, Israel, you're the only one I have set my affection upon. And to foreknow someone is to set your love upon them in the sense that you uh, purposed it and preplanned it and chose them. So really what God is saying is in verse 2, God has not rejected the people he chose. God isn't about to break his promises and cut off the people he chose to be his special people, the people who he chose to give these promises to. God hasn't, hasn't chosen them only to cast them aside. And to illustrate that he will never cast away his people, no matter how disobedient they are, Paul uses the Old Testament story of Elijah. I love Elijah. I did, I think it was a 16 week or eight weeks, something like that, maybe 10 week, I forget. Study on Elijah, eight weeks. Elijah is one of my favorite Bible characters because I can relate to the fellow. I understand his disappointments and I understand his disillusionment and his, his depression. And Paul uses Elijah. Look at verse two. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? You say, was there a prophet who would plead with God against Israel? I thought prophets speak uh, to Israel on behalf of God and are in favor of Israel. Uh, but there was a time in Elijah's life where he actually interceded with God to destroy Israel. You know that? He wanted God to wipe out the whole nation. 
God has certainly had plenty of opportunities to destroy the people of Israel, yet it seems rather that He always intercedes to preserve them. The very fact that the Jewish people can even exist today is a demonstration that God still has great plans for them. We are glad that you joined us today for Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve's ministry has been built around sound biblical instruction. His teaching has been a great help to believers over the years, and we trust that you have been blessed by it today. If you would like to know more about this ministry, or you would like to partner with us through a financial gift, please give us a call at 727-239-0306. You can also visit our website, where you can download previous broadcasts of Verse by Verse from our audio archives. That address is versebyverseradio.org. So why did Elijah, a prophet of God, want to see the people of Israel destroyed? And how does God's answer to him help us to understand Paul's message in Romans 11? Please be sure to tune in to our next broadcast as Pastor Steve opens up the Word of God once again, right here on Verse by Verse. I'm Peter Silsa. I hope to see you then. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.